And you're developing your personality and you're developing the conviction with which you say things and how you sell things and how you teach. Today on the Rising Coaches Podcast, we get the opportunity to speak with a very familiar name, Coach Alan Major. Coach Major is a man of many talents as he is the current president of basketball operations with Rising Coaches and co-host of the Rising Coaches Podcast. Coach Major also has a strong coaching background, including Cal Lutheran, Pacific, Southern Illinois, Xavier, Ohio State, Texas, and the Nigerian national team, all in the assistant role, as well as Charlotte and the Rwanda national teams as a head coach. We are very excited to get to do this one. So please welcome Coach Alan Major. Video analysis is expensive and your budget probably isn't getting much bigger. Fulcrum Tech is here to help. Used by basketball teams at all levels from Division I all the way to high school, their Angles product is very similar to what you know and allows you to code, capture, and analyze with ease. All you have to do is import the raw video and synergy with just the click of a mouse. Over the past two years, over 60% of Division I teams and conferences such as the SEC, Pac-12, American, NBC, and A-10, just to name a few, have made the postseason, all while using Fulcrum Tech and saving thousands and thousands of dollars compared to their old companies. Reach out to Fulcrum Tech on X at Fulcrum Tech or their sales at sales at fulcrumtech.com. Just shoot them over an email and be sure to mention if you are a Rising Coaches member. Do more, spend less with Fulcrum Tech. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Rising Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Caputo, and your co-host here, Alan Major. And if you're watching the video, you're probably concerned as to why there's not a third person on this podcast right now. And the main reason being, today we are speaking with a familiar face and someone who you hear from on a regular basis, a former coach and current president of basketball operations for the Rising Coaches organization, Alan Major. Alan, what's going on, baby? Feel good to be in the hot seat? Yeah, right. Happy New Year, man. Yeah, the rabbit's got the gun today, so we'll see what, we'll see how this goes. But uh, no, I mean, good to see you, man, man. I know you know how everything works, but just so everybody listening, I'll kind of go over it again real quick. Um, just going over your coaching journey, your experiences, some things you've learned from your step-to-step. And I wanted to make sure, that's why I know when I talked to you before this, when we set this up initially, like, you have a great journey, and I feel like it needs to be talked about, and at least people to be to hear about it. Um, so that's one reason why we definitely wanted to be able to go over this, and then we'll also go over some things you learned from your experiences. Just you know, um, we'll talk about like the international, but then also going from Division Three all the way to Division One, and so on. Uh, and then wrap it up with our final segment: three quick hitters and a final question to end it off. So. Before we get into your coaching career, I know we always like to ask this later on, but I'll ask it kind of right out the jump. Like, what made you get into your coaching profession? You know, it's funny. Um, I had a conversation with my high school coach about two weeks before our sectional playoffs. We were practicing in a different gym, a local university. We were practicing because our high school gym was going on some renovations. And I still remember where we sat in this small college gym before we had this conversation, but I'd kind of had a itch to coach. I thought about it. Uh, I had some academic money to go to Purdue as a student. 
and but you know i just didn't know how to figure it out you know so right. uh, i just kind of was picking my high school coach's brain and he was kind enough fred bells was his name and uh we actually texted a couple weeks ago because we're gonna try to get together for lunch because i owe it to that i owe that guy <laughs> a lot you're about to find out why but um he just encouraged me you know he said alan i think you got a mind for the game um he said i think you could be a really good coach someday but if you go to purdue he said you know you can't just show up and you know, as a regular student and watch practice every two or three weeks, that's not going to cut it. He said, you got to find a way. And he uses his exact words. He said, you got to find a way to get into the belly of the beast every day. And so as a player, I'm thinking, well, maybe I could be a walk on. So um, obviously high hopes because <laughs> Purdue <laughs> was a top 25 team at the time. Uh, and they still are, uh, obviously. So great program. I got up there and uh, went through walk-on tryouts. And uh, there was 11 guys that went through tryouts at six in the morning. One of their assistant coaches absolutely crushed us, you know, one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, full court. <laughs> and so Bruce Weber, who uh, was a former assistant there and obviously, you know, outstanding coach at many places, Southern Illinois, uh, Kansas State, uh, he calls the next day and says, hey, you know, thanks, but no thanks. You know, we, uh, <laughs> we we kept one guy, you know, appreciate you going through the tryout. So now I'm kind of back in my, hear my high school coach's words again, you know, you got to find a way to get into the belly of the beast. And he said, if you don't make the team, my high school coach said, you know, you got to leave your pride in the dorm, meaning you can't get all, you know, upset because you didn't make the team and that, and you, you got to let it go and then go back and then see if they'll let you do something with them on a daily basis. So I walked back over the next day after getting cut and uh, poked my head in the office. And it just so happens they had one uh, manager spot left. And so Ooh. I took it. And uh, so literally I go from high hopes of uh, hopefully being a walk-on at a Big Ten school to uh, 48 hours later, I'm pouring Gatorades at practice. So. <laughs> but I mean, it ultimately goes full circle. and. You know, you've had, a, as we'll talk about, a, a tremendous journey and career. You've been, you got to see different parts, not only of the country, but different parts of the world, uh, which, you know, and, and meet so many great people, which kind of leads into one of the things that we were going to talk on next is being at Purdue, your roommate is some guy named Matt Painter. Uh, and that guy ends up being, for people who don't know, that current head coach of Purdue University right now. And then, you know, one of the number one, I shouldn't say one of the top, uh, the number one college basketball program right now as we speak. And then you also were the manager, as you mentioned, under Gene Keedy. So talk about like your time at Purdue. Maybe maybe just a little bit about you as, as Matt and um, as roommates, but then like just coaching under Gene Keedy, some things, or I should say being a manager under Gene Keedy and some things that you guys did and learned there. Yeah, and, and I was I'm a couple years older than Matt, so he we weren't roommates until later in my my time there. But um, you know, you could always tell Matt had a mind for the game as a player. But I think on the in a, from a bigger picture, um, Coach Katie was like uh, I still to this day call him my basketball granddad because you know my true granddad passed away uh, when I was still a kid, and you know I remember going to his house vaguely and sitting in his lap and, you know, those little moments when you're really little. 
but from a the first guy that kind of kicked the doors open for me and gave me a chance um coach katie is is i'll always owe that to him and i think the big thing if i could really condense it down into what he was best at was just consistency like he was literally the same guy every day um he wanted players who were the same people every day and his basketball was just fundamentals toughness um effort togetherness and i i remember he always would come up with three words at the start of a season that were kind of like in today's social world would be called hashtags you know and they these words would end up on a t-shirt or they would end up you know hung up in the locker room you know um it could be like and they would all start with the same letter so it would be like pride passion perseverance you know uh hustle humble hungry <laughs> you know so he he always had a way of kind of like thinking about the team that he had that year and then he would kind of and it was ingenious now because you look back and what he was doing was looking at the team that he had and then finding these three words that would shape that team's identity and every team was different no team ever had the same three words for that particular season so, so what what was the first one that you had do you remember ooh, uh the ones that stick out the most and i want to say was a team that went to it may have been a big 10 championship team but i can't remember i'm trying to think of what year but hustle humble hungry okay i remember the the that, that's one of the ones that really like stuck to me. I can't remember them all. That was back in the stone ages. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, like and, and guys would have a two mile run every year around campus that you had to make under a certain time. And, and I remember that you know, that particular hustle, humble, hungry year, we had a player named Tony Jones that actually ran the two mile run in some combat boots you know the boots that like go up to right above your ankle they were these black combat boots and he ran the two mile wow. run in these combat boots just he he was a starting guard he was tough as nails graduated purdue ended up being a pilot but uh he just wanted to send the message to the rest of the team like we're going to be tough and i'm going to exemplify it and he ran the two mile run that year um in combat boots so please tell me he didn't beat half the team uh he, fi he finished towards the front he finished yeah. towards the front so Except all those all the big guys probably like lacking behind but right <laughs> i remember we had to do something very similar we had to we had to do uh every preseason it was they throw you out and you had to get a time to run in and it was like all right if you don't beat this time you're doing it again and again and again and again until you finally do luckily i was fortunate to beat it every year but can't say I was breathing. I was sitting there breathing heavily after every one of them. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, that it was ingenious how coach would kind of create this identity in the preseason, right? Sometimes you have to wait until you see what you have as a team and get through some practices and say, hey, this is, I think, what we're going to be. But he kind of put it out there and then made guys kind of live up to this identity. And looking back, it was ingenious, but, uh, you know, he had a tough kind of exterior uh, as people used to watch Purdue games, you know, he'd maybe <laughs> throw his coat in the stands in, in Bloomington, you know, against IU or something, or, you know, yelling at a ref, but heart of gold as a human being. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, obviously forever, forever indebted to him. 
and my high school coach, Fred Belzer. Those two were two huge early inspirations for me to get into this business. And then kind of getting into the business after your manager, you go on to Division Three Cal Lutheran, spent three years under the um, – and then following that, Bob Thomason at the University of Pacific, or Pacific, excuse me, where you got a role, and then Southern Illinois, and then back to Pacific. Talk about like kind of going from Division Three, then back to Division One, and then just kind of those tosses between Pacific, Southern Illinois. Yeah, you know, um, we we run we talk about this all the time with people that come on here. Uh, everybody's got mm-hmm. a story, and it, we could do a whole pod on how these things happen from one thing to the next. Um, you know, uh, I went to Division Three at, at the time; they had eliminated graduate assistants in Division One. And so there were a lot of GAs that were out of work. And then there were some guys like me that were looking for work. And so it just turns out that one of my last opportunities uh, was with a guy named Mike Dunlap at California Lutheran University. And, you know, I didn't know it at the time. I knew they were good, but we ended up being one of the best Division Three teams in the country. Going from there to Pacific, it was it was almost like a cold call. You know, I didn't know anybody there. <laughs> And I ended up on the phone with one of their coaches and, and uh, you know, ended up, you know, getting an opportunity, had a chance to coach a number one draft pick uh, by a guy named, a uh, guy by the name of Mike Oldwood Candy in 1998. Um, mm-hmm. But I think uh, what I loved about Division Three, and we, we share this with people all the time ourselves, is like, you get a chance to do everything. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and at the time I was, me and another guy were coaching the JVs in the morning. So we had some long days. I mean, we'd coach the JVs at 6 a.m. practice. You know, we had seven guys on the team. So our, our full court stuff was limited to three on three full court. <laughs> we had, our team ended actually winning the league my first year. We, we won the JV uh, conference uh, championship with seven guys because they were in such incredible shape. You know, they just were just an amazing group of dudes. But you get to do everything. You know, you're on you, – you, from recruiting to just, I mean, taking turns mopping the gym floor because they have other classes during the day, you know, using yeah. the gym oh, and me. then you I come in. Yeah. You know that deal. So I, I loved it. And because, you know, obviously guys were on academic scholarship, the you know, majority of them are financial aid. So there were no perks. There were no trinkets, no extra incentives. It was just dudes that loved the hoop. And I had a conversation with one of them, ironically, last week, a guy by the name of Mark Harima. And Mark played for us at Cal Lutheran. And we just caught up last week for like an hour on the phone. And we're sharing stories about riding in the vans and, you know, getting post-game at Jack in the Box on the way back home. Sometimes those meals are the best, though, I have oh, to yeah. say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we used so, to always take a, take a stop up to Columbus when I played. Uh, we would play uh, Capital and Otterbein. There were a couple teams up there. Every right. time we made sure to hit raising canes, and if we oh, didn't, yeah. we raised hell about it because right. we wanted that raising cane. Like, there's no sometimes doubt. those stops, are especially if you want, especially if you. Oh, win. of course. Then you're yeah. sitting there eating the chicken. You know, everybody's all happy, and it's it's rather than a bunch of smiles on your face, rather than like a disappointing, disappointing uh, batch of food. You're sitting there like, I don't even want to eat this. Yeah. So love love the opportunity to start at that division three level and there's some hoopers at that level as you know we could get into that all day long and then coach thomason at pacific was a a fantastic influence incredible offensive coach and we were fortunate enough during my time there to go to the ncaa's in 1997 
And that was the first time Pacific had been to the tournament since 1979. So to be a part of something that hadn't been done in a long time was fun. It was humbling. I was restricted earnings coach, which we've heard that phrase on here before. Uh Some people have had that role. And so uh, just an amazing experience there. You know, that was my first division one, you know, uh, job. And so, um, again, just, uh, you know, as I think about this stuff, just really amazing uh, that time. And then I had met Coach Mata working camps like most guys do with building relationships, working camps. And and um, a guy by the name of Steve Lavin, who's now the head coach at uh, University of San Diego, had, was head coach at UCLA for several years, head coach at St. John's, Fox Sports, you know, ESPN. Uh, Lav's done it all. But Lav was a graduate assistant when I was at Purdue and his family used to run some camps in Northern California. And I actually met coach Mata, believe it or not, at a camp in California, two Midwest guys run into each yeah. other. <laughs> yeah. So, um, stayed in touch and, and going back from, um, Pacific to Southern Illinois, then back to Pacific. Um, I changed roles. So I was restricted earnings my first time at Pacific, and then I was full-time assistant the second time. And then uh, Coach Mata called one time. uh, This was probably spring of 2001, and I'm sitting in my apartment in Pacific. You know, I got some nachos. I'm watching NBA playoffs, and the phone rings, and it's that. He says, hey, I just got the Xavier job. You know, how do you feel about coming back here? He said, I got two guys done. I need one more to complete my staff. And the ironic thing is he had actually called me a couple of years, uh, a year prior when he got the Butler job, a guy named Barry Collier, Barry Collier, who's the AD of Butler. He's going to be retiring. Barry had taken a job at Nebraska. Thad got the Butler job to take over. He was been, he had been an assistant. And so he actually called. And when I went back to Pacific, I promised my head coach Thomason that I would stay for two years. Well, at the end of my first promise the year back, that's when Thad called about the Butler opportunity. I said, hey, man, I'd I'd love to, but I owe this guy another year. I got to keep my word. And so uh, couldn't do it. So then another year passes. Thad goes from Butler to Xavier. My two-year commitment kind of ends of going back to Pacific. That's when he called back when I was in my apartment eating nachos, watching the playoffs. <laughs> and I'm like, I got to take it this time because he's not calling back a third time if I say no. So so anyway, went back to Xavier and just had some great experiences there. And, you know, got to coach a guy by the name of David West, who we had on this pod. Got yep. to coach Lionel Chalmers, who we've had on the pod. T. Dials. Yeah. Terrence was Terrence uh, Ohio State eventually. Well, yeah. 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 So, like I said, I, I'm – Probably some real long answers for a short question, but no. as, as this stuff comes off hey, going back, it's pretty amazing. The, the famous Al Major quote, there's no long answers on this show. There's <laughs> no long answers on this podcast. Right. And then I have to make sure to like to to lightly just sprinkle in there, too, that you and Xavier, you came back to the promised land. As I said, I know I said it off camera, but came back to Ohio, of course, being at Xavier University for a few years, which leads you, as we just kind of mentioned, to... Uh, and I kind of foreshadowed a little bit in the beginning saying Columbus because Ohio State University. Um, and then, of course, as we said, under Thad Matta. So how was it working under Thad 
<clears throat> excuse me, being in the Big Ten, and then just as you mentioned, even coaching like NBA prospects too. How was it just being able to have those experiences and some things that you took away from those? Have now known Thad for thirty years, and um, you know one of my best friends on this planet. And uh, I think the thing that he did for me that he's done for a lot of his assistants is that he he has an unbelievable vision on how he wants his team to look and how he wants his staff to operate. And what he did with me, you know, in particular, I'm speaking for myself is, you know, he would allow you to have certain segments of practice and you would have to kind of prepare, you know, what you want. He's still, he's still giving you what he wants, Mm -hmm. but you get a chance to kind of paint it your way. And as a result, when you're on the floor in this 10 or 15 minute segment, over the course of time, you're developing your own coaching voice and you're developing your personality and you're developing the conviction with which you say things and how you sell things and how you teach. And, and so you get so many reps of that, you know, uh, you don't realize it at the time, but it, he's he's right. helping you become a better coach. I mean, I like to say all the time, practice isn't just for players. Mm-hmm. You know, coaches need practice coaching every day, too. He understood that. And, um, you know, one of the greatest gifts he gave me because it really helped accelerate my growth. And, you know, at the time when we got to Ohio State, it was really, a, a you know, they just gone through a tough year, 15 and 16 season the previous year, had had a, a NCAA violation, which the former coach had, you know, kind of given a, a, a player some money, a foreign player some money. And so the guys were really down um, when we got there. And uh, but in a blessing in disguise kind of a way, they were actually set up to have immediate buy-in because they had kind of hit rock bottom. You know, they actually won the big, the conference title a couple of years prior. And so, um, and Purdue, uh, Ohio State had been to a final four uh, in the past. And so we clearly weren't going into a place that didn't have any tradition. I mean, obviously an incredible tradition, but the program at the time was just in a tough spot. And so, I think the biggest thing that Thad sold to us as assistants and we ran with it as best we could. And I think when the players, you know, saw here's this, these guys care about us. Um, I think the greatest thing we did literally was spend time with, with those guys. Um, we just hunted ways to spend time with them, whether it was obviously individual instruction, you know, you get, you got to do what you got to do there, but we had to find other ways to do it, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and Ohio State's a huge campus, right? I mean, it's 55,000 students. So, you know, you really don't see guys until they come back to the facility the next day. So you got to find a way to get out, you know, see them on campus, take a guy to lunch. And we just kind of threw ourselves into it um, because taking over, that was our best option to, to help a program yeah. kind of reset itself. But it's, it happened to be exactly what those players needed. At, at, at that particular time. So, you know, our first year we go 20 and 12, but we finished the year beating Illinois. And at the time, Illinois was number one in the country, 29 and 0. And they come to Columbus, the last game of the season, end of the Big Ten season. The game is on CBS. Uh, my guy, just Gus Johnson, who works for Fox now, Gus is calling the game for CBS. 
I didn't know any of this. And we end up upsetting Illinois on our home floor the last game of the regular season. And Ohio State had already kind of self-reported or self-imposed a one-year tournament ban. So our first year, we couldn't go to the tournament. So that Illinois game was like our NCAA tournament. That was everything. That, I mean, especially beat regardless, even if you could make the tournament, like that's that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, of course. So and we had some re- future recruits at the game. So thankfully, those guys saw like, OK, you know, maybe, you know, they got something, something good, going here. Something good can happen here. Yeah. So second year, we ended up winning the Big Ten outright. Uh, Terrence Dials, who we had on this this podcast, you know, recently uh, was Big Ten player mm-hmm. of the year that year. Just a proud moment for our entire staff and our team because TD was just a he was just a rock for us, uh, both as a player and a person. And he his his character and his, who he was actually helped trigger a lot of the buy in, you know, because he was an older guy. He was a junior when we got there. So his like, hey, guys, let's listen to what these dudes have to say. You know, let's make it work. So um, year two you know, fortunate enough to uh, uh, win the Big Ten. And um, then year three, here come Greg and Michael, uh, you know, Greg Ode, Michael Conley. Daquan Cook was another, uh, you know, star from uh, Dayton, Ohio. So we have an amazing recruiting class in year three. And fortunately, we're able to end up uh, going to the Final Four in year three. And so I don't know, Al. All I'm hearing is a lot of Ohio people just is ended yeah, up being really good. I don't know. I'm I, not gonna I'm not gonna brag or boast over here. Something but. told me you were gonna work that <laughs> back in there somehow. But, I had to do but, it one uh, last time. All right, I had to do it one last time. But but to your question about coaching <laughs> coaching pros um, and coaching great players, I think the thing that gets maybe um, overblown a little bit is how coaches develop great players. And I kind of tend to look at it in a different way. And, and David West, being around him for two years, probably taught me this, is great players help develop coaches too. Because when you coach a great player, you have an idea he's probably going to be at, at the next level. Pretty good idea. So now it's like you got to make a decision. Are you just going to be satisfied that you have a great player in this program's feather, you know, and feather in the program's cap? Or are you going to challenge this great player while you have them to keep getting better? So now they're more prepared for whatever level that they get to next, you know, first rounder, overseas, whatever it is. And so what guys like David and, and, and Michael and Greg and, and even Terrence, you know, had a great career overseas. What those guys taught me is do everything you can as a coach to improve, but also like try to just like, you have to walk alongside those guys, but you also have to walk ahead of them. And what I mean by walking ahead of them is you've got to always have that next thing ready for them to get better at. What's the next carrot we got to chase? You know, um, Hey, Greg, we feel really good about our jump hooks, right hand, right? How do we get better now at our left hand jump hooks? Because now if you can make a move with your right hand and left hand, you double your moves. Mm -hmm. So now that becomes the the caveat that you kind of 
like, okay. And the guy sees that, then you start to develop that. Then they throw one in at a game, you know, and then you just kind of see it actually kind of come to fruition. Now you have their buy-in, but it's got to be a partnership. I think that's the thing that sometimes gets missed is, you know, great players will help you get better as a coach if you allow them to. Um, but you've got to you got to prove to them first that you can help them get better. Because yeah. Oh, completely. Then, and as that's that back and forth, right? Like they get better as a player. <laughs> oh, my turn. Now I got to go come back with something else. Like what do we do next? Then they they meet that bar, and then you come back with something else. And so that partnership, it's like a developmental game of you know metaphoric ping pong, in a way. Uh, of just going back and forth. And that, to me, I think great players don't get enough credit for developing coaches. I think sometimes coaches get too much credit for developing players. I can stand by that 100% just because, like, our, just at where I'm at now, you know, our, our um, starting center <clears throat> shot me a text the other day and was like, all right, what else do I need to work on? So I gave him something else to work on. Immediately yeah. in the game, you know, very next day, he goes out and he does this move. He, t- he right. takes a picture of it or takes a video of it on his computer, sends it to me and goes, you taught me this. This is what we worked on. And it just gives you chills. It gave me chills. No I'm doubt. Like, okay. And then the next thing he goes, all right, now, like, what else do we have to do? So then I had to start implementing another move for him. Next game, he goes out and does that again. So it's just like, right. hundred percent. I know what you're talking about. You got to, you got to kind of yep. get ahead of the game. You got to get ahead of them in order to yeah. make sure that they're progressing on top of, yeah, on top of you as well. And that's helping you, like, right? Like, you're getting better mm-hmm. as a coach. But all you're going to do with your improvement, I mean, we can't be hoarders, right? Like, all we're going to do with our improvement is turn around and give it back to them. Is Yeah, share it. So it's a waste of time for us to improve and then not turn around and share it with our guys. Like, none of this works without the players being in a great place every single day. Like, that can get missed in, in this world maybe that we're in sometimes where, you know, all about coaches wanting to develop and improve and take steps to move forward and rise as we like to say. But, um, but if you do that at the expense of not helping your players max themselves out, then now you're missing the boat. Completely. Uh, And then what we'll get into is the last, last um, well, last couple steps, but I kind of jammed them all into one because Mm -hmm. they were all head coaching stints, except for the, the, the uh, last one. But you take on your first head coaching role at Charlotte for five years and then a head coaching gig in Rwanda and finish as an assistant in Nigeria for the international team. So one, just talk about, you know, the first couple opportunities of being a head coach, um, but then ultimately like being in Rwanda, how was that, you know, kind of tie in a little bit of both of those. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, uh, left Ohio state in 2010, had a chance to be the head coach at UNC Charlotte for five years and, um, incredible experience, still very close to my athletic director who hired me, Judy Rose, shout out to Judy, just incredible. Uh, just because, you know, we didn't, uh, did we win as much as I wanted to? I don't know if you ever do until you, you know, you can always say you want to win a few more games, but we had the chance to do some things that hadn't been done before or at least not done in a while. Went to the postseason, went to the NIT in, in 2013, and that was the first time uh, Charlotte had been to the postseason since 08. Um, had a chance to win the uh, Great Alaskan Shootout, won the uh, San Juan Shootout in Puerto Rico. Um, 
had, I want to say, I believe seven or eight at the time, what would be considered power five wins in a five-year period. So um, most thing I'm probably most proud of is our last two teams had the, the first and second highest team GPAs in school history. And so um, did some really fun things there and uh, then transition. I think that we've talked about this with head coaches before on this pod, right? Like how your vision changes, like as an assistant, you kind of yep. got tunnel vision, not yep. greedy, not selfishly, but you're just focused on your role. You're trying to stay in your lane, do what you have to do. <laughs> you know, overnight you go from tunnel vision to global vision. Like you're just thinking about everybody in the program, you know, managers, players, obviously assistants, you know, administrative assistant, your AD, strength coach, athletic trainer, academic person, your, your you know, alumni development or alumni relations person that takes you speaking places like, hmm. so you're thinking about anywhere from 35 to 40 people uh, every single day. And I think the thing that helped me grow the most is I had to figure out like, how do I help make their jobs easier? Because if I can help them make their jobs easier, then they'll, they'll in turn, they're going to help me because their job, they're operating at a better and higher level. So um, it's humbling because you wake up every day thinking it's like a constant revolving thing in your mind. You're thinking about all these people, but yeah, just an amazing experience, great school and uh, always be thankful that place for giving me a chance. And, Recently had a, uh, over the past few years, had a chance to work both in the uh, Basketball Africa League, uh, which was at the time uh, based in Rwanda. The, it, we call it the BAL for short, and it's actually sponsored by the NBA. And so the really? NBA has kind of poured its chips into developing basketball in Africa. And the BAL is one of the ways they're trying to do it. So uh, it was held in a bubble in Rwanda because of COVID restrictions. So it was just 12 teams the very first year. And I had a chance to be the head coach of a team called the uh, Rwanda Patriots. So uh, (laughs) they were kind of the local pro team in Rwanda, but they had qualified for the tournament. So uh, it was great. You know, you had a local team as part of these 12. And um, at the time uh, I I, I had a surprise, uh, a guy who's now become a friend um, a rapper by the name of Jay Cole uh, played on our team. He was on our basketball Africa League team in year one. So, uh, so Cole was great. You know, he he just wanted to, you know, uh, be a hooper. Uh, he had been a high school, a pretty good high school player, and went to St. John's for music. And it kind of got down to the last walk-on tryout, and changed his mind and decided to chase music thankfully for all of us right so um anyway just yeah it was, it was, it was, an, mean, incre- it was a, <laughs> it was an incredible experience to be a part of the bal and we actually finished fourth out of the 12 teams in that in that league so that was a lot of fun um and then mike brown who's now the head coach of uh sacramento kings when he was still an assistant at golden state he had been in, in, uh, asked by uh, the nigerian federation to run their, it basically kind of develop and upgrade the national team program. And so he accepted that role while he was still in the system with the Warriors. So he was doing Warrior stuff during the season and then Team Nigeria stuff during the summers. And so 
I had a chance to uh, go on, I want to say five or six different qualifiers with those guys and um, had a chance to work training camp before they went to the the Olympics uh, in 2021. Uh, So the FIBA side of this international stuff has been a lot of fun just uh, because it's not quite NBA level, but it's it's higher than obviously higher level than college. But the style of play is so different, right? You have 24 seconds. There's no defensive three seconds. So you have these physical dudes that are always loading up in the paint. But you have fewer less time on the shot clock to operate. And they legally let you hit people in FIBA. Ooh, now um, that so, sounds interesting. <laughs> so it's a, it is it is a, it is physicality has not been legislated out of you know, FIBA, like much like Steve Kerr was talking about a few weeks ago, um, you know, with the NBA. So it's a different style. But for me, just a complete, you know, graduate degree in basketball from uh, just learning the international game, developing some international relationships. So, um, yeah, uh, really amazing. But uh, just the chance to be a head coach, uh, both in a Division One setting, and then to do it a little bit in an international setting, you know, with the BAL and being an assistant with Team Nigeria, just a incredible experiences. So, um, yeah. Can't, and I was going to ask more than great. I know, I know you touched on a couple of them right there, but like, um, was there any major differences for you to be able to step out of the NCAA and kind of go international to Nigeria or Rwanda? Like, was there anything that like really stood out that you were like, this is going to be difficult? Yeah, you know, I, I think, and it was good for me because, um, especially when you know when I was head coach in the basketball Africa League, uh, it 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 made me better uh, a better coach offensively. I had kind of traditionally been with defensive guys coming up. You know, Mike Dunlap when I was at D three was kind of a defensive guy. You know, Bruce Weber was kind of a defensive guy. Steve Lavin, in some ways, he taught you know Purdue's defense when I was a grad assistant. Thad was a little bit more of a balanced guy, but maybe a shade more towards the defense. Uh, Bob Thomason was probably the only offensive guy uh, that I was with, you know, coming up. So, you know, if I had to go back, I would probably balance myself out better defensively and offensively as a teacher and, and, and as a coach, uh, especially as a head coach. Um, and that was a great learning experience for me coming along the way. Just realized, like, once I became a head coach, I did realize, man, I'm a little imbalanced here. You know, I, I felt really comfortable teaching defense, coaching defense because of my background. But right. the international game actually has helped me improve offensively because 24 seconds, got to get yeah. up the floor, get up the floor quickly, get into your stuff quickly, um, you know get to your actions quickly, keep the ball moving because again, defenses can be loaded. And so if you're trying to dribble against a loaded defense, good luck with that. Right. So it really kind of helped me become an offensive, uh, you know, a, a better coach offensively, but just seeing the physicality of those first games when that tournament started, you're right. It was like, this is different, you know, like, like forearm shivers are legal here. Like that's a, you know, like that's a foul. Like you looking at that and saying back home, that is a foul. But here it's in, just in any of the 50 common. states, that's a foul. Yeah. <laughs> and then over there, it's like, you know, unless you, you're bleeding, 
it's like shut up and play, man. So I love uh, that. And they have EuroLeague games going on streaming right now. So if you ever get a chance, you know, just on ESPN streaming or whatever, just watch a EuroLeague game, you know, just for a quarter or a half. And you'll just, it'll kind (laughs) of, it'll shell shock you a little bit. But, but that seeing that game and how differently it was played, it, it definitely made me better. No, I mean, especially like it's funny because I know this is a completely different country, but Luka, Luka Doncic, when he came over, I mean, he said, oh, yeah, the NBA, this is this is easier than it was back home. And it's just like, yeah, the rule. I'm obviously every country has different rules and and stipulations to the way they run things. But no, it's completely crazy. Like he, he comes to the best and number one basketball program in all of the world, the NBA. And he says, "Oh no, this is probably the easiest I've had." <laughs> and he's over yeah, and he's making it look doing that what way. he's doing. Yeah, yeah, he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, oh, I mean, it's, you know, it's fastest ever to ten thousand points. You know, yeah, I think it was. He, he just recent milestone. So, uh, but yeah, so imagine a guy like that at at thirteen years old. You know, with Real Madrid. Yeah, right. You know, and he's getting his head beat in, and then eventually he doesn't. Eventually, he doesn't feel it by the time he's eighteen, nineteen. He doesn't Years even later. feel those. Yeah, and, and if you've seen him play in person, I had a chance uh, to to see him play in person at a Spurs game a few years ago, and uh, he's gigantic. He's massive. Like, you, you really don't – until you see him in person, you don't really realize how big the dude is. So, um, but, you know, yeah, the game he's, is – He's next to a bunch of seven-footers, and you're like, ah, he's not that big. And then, you know, no, he's small out there. Like – Kyrie, yeah. Kyrie, there's been Kyrie and CP3. Like when I watch them, it's just like, yeah, they're not that big. But then you see them. I mean, in reality, they're what, 6'3, 6'2, 6'3, which is above the average person. And I mean, they're just yeah. standing next to seven foot, seven foot five guys, you know, or seven foot right. and six ten. Right. right. Especially nowadays in the NBA, you got seven footers who are guards. But um, kind of going back to it. So one last thing is yeah. just this has been three months. For the podcast, and I know since you were appointed as the director of basketball operations, or excuse me, president of basketball operations for Rising Coaches, it's been definitely less than a year, you know, a couple more months than than three. But how has it been so far, you know, and then just really how has it benefited you as well, just being able to be kind of with Rising Coaches and figured touch on that at least a little bit? Yeah, for sure. No, first of all, you know, um, I met Rich at a leadership conference back in 2016 in South Carolina. Kind of hit it off then, but we have a common friend that we're really close to. And and that friend actually kind of threw my name to Rich when he was looking for somebody to kind of step in and, and help with rising coaches after he bought it. And um, it's been an honor, man, to be honest. I mean, I think that's probably the single biggest word that that encapsulates everything because um, everything that I've just shared this past, you know, 40 minutes or whatever it is, I, I owe the profession. I think, and me personally is how I feel. I owe the profession what I'm doing right now. I don't know how many people it helps, um, you know, for this pod that we do and what we share, you know, we hope that it helps more than we think versus fewer, (laughs) but all we can do is put out a great product as best we can and then hope that that helps one person grow. And if that yeah. one person grows, then that's a home run in, in itself. So, but this profession has been uh, unreal to me as, as I've just shared. I mean, I, you can't make this stuff up. 
um, that I had a chance to do. So it's a, it, it was kind of at, at the time, it was the least I could do to, uh, to try to get back and, and uh, hope hopefully help the profession grow that's been so amazing to me. But it's been fun, man. I mean, I want to thank you as I got this opportunity right now, but I know we beat each other up text-wise, you know, several times a day sometimes, just trying to... I'm 100% the problem. I get it. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, I know, I know. Yeah, but just trying to figure out who we want to get. And it's, it's actually the competitive side of us, I think, is kicking in because we, you know, we continually want to try to make this thing better. It's been fun. And Rising Coaches is an incredible platform. Again, at the end, we just hope we leave it better than we found it whenever that day happens. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I think so far, it's been 100% down that route. So, uh, and I mean, like I said, we've only been, I was talking about this last night. I'm like, we've only been doing this podcast for two in a little bit over two months yeah we started yeah i guess we started recording in september we started dropping them i guess in in october but started recording in september but uh yeah i'm just thinking i'm like the people that we've had on here and the people that we already have lined up to have on here and we won't necessarily go into names yet because we'll let those kind of we'll let those kind of slowly come out but yeah the people that we have lined up dude (laughs) you know like for three months we've been uh, so we got to definitely take our hats off to you and, and say thank you for all that. Um, obviously, you've been an absolute tremendous help. And that was the one big reason, too, is because we've always touched lightly and we've always heard brief stories and brief snippets of your background. But I'm like, we got to we got to get this all. We got to get a whole episode about this. We got to have everyone talk about this. So so at least others can hear your side of things because you have a tremendous journey that you know definitely needs to be addressed and, and people to be able to hear it. So no, I'm I'm happy we we were able to do this. Um, for people yeah, who for don't sure. know, everybody like I definitely I just called Alan one day and I'm like, hey, I got I have some serious something serious to talk to you about. He goes, All right, <laughs> yeah. what's up? You're right. thinking like something happened? I'm like, right, no, I was yeah, I was my antennas were up when you when you called that day. I'm like, All you're right, like, you know. uh, what's what's going on? I'm like, I just yeah. want to do a whole episode on you, and you're like, oh, okay. So no, it's been it's been great, and we got many oh, more it's episodes. Been a blast, and, man. Yeah. months and, years to come and that's the that's the you know i think again the competitive side of us you know how do we how do we make something good better it's it's the approach that you know coaches thousands of staff meetings right now as we speak this time of the day at 8 49 in the morning thousands of coaches are having that same conversation how do we get better right and so yeah. we're kind of doing the same thing and and uh because again whatever better that we get we're going to turn around and share it and so that's kind of what the whole thing is about it's it's never you know when when you hear all some of the larry browns and coaches of the world guys have done this for 50 60 years it seems like you know um they always use the phrase our game right they always say that all the time this is our game so um i'm a big believer in that is that we're just kind of stewards and whatever we're doing along the way and and the hope that the time that you're a part of it that um you try to just make the game better uh than it was when you found it so completely yeah so i think you know what's next (laughs) right yeah i got you (laughs) we'll cut to the final segment um and Three quick hitters, three quick questions, and then just kind of go from there, and then we'll wrap it up with our final question. And obviously, if you have anything else to kind of throw in at the end, 
the first quick hitter that we'll say is if you had a day off, okay, what would that day consist of, the full day? Oh, man. I'll try to make it quick. Um, <laughs> uh, definitely meditation in the morning, uh, just kind of a quiet period to, to get my mind right. A great workout of some sort, whether it's, uh, you know, a hit class or, uh, you know, hot yoga, hot something yoga. like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think some time spent learning, whatever that may look like, whether it's reading, whether it's um, listening to a podcast, uh, whether it's, um, you know, pulling up synergy, you know, getting a chance to learn something. Then a period of time probably spent with either family or friends. You know, something that just is enriching, that has no end game whatsoever, you know, just because type of, you know, period of time. And then um, either ending with a, uh, uh, a great meal at one of my favorite restaurants here in Indy, and then um, probably a whiskey and a cigar to, to wrap it up. Ooh, oh, that's a so I mean, that's a great way to wrap it up, though. I tell you what. Yeah, yeah, for Love sure. Love that. And if there was, um, the second one would be, if there was one piece of advice you can give your younger self, I know I've asked this numerous times to other people, but I feel like this is always something that's kind of pivotal. It's a big mm -hmm. piece and, and it's something that could help people out. So if, if you had a piece of advice for um, to give yourself when you were first starting out your coaching career, what would that advice be? Just take shots, man. Thankfully, I did. You know, uh, when I left Purdue, you know, I graduated and, you know, the Cal Lutheran opportunity was 2,500 miles away. I'd never been out of the state of Indiana. And I remember being on the plane on the way to, to LAX and I had 16 bucks in my pocket and, you know, a few belongings. And um, at some point I almost went up to the pilot and tapped on the door. It's like, hey, man, can you make the U-turn and, you know, turn this thing around and run me back to Indy. I don't know about this. You know, thankfully, uh, I didn't get up and do that because he wouldn't have done it anyway. <laughs> but um, just taking taking shots and, you know, the Cal Lutheran opportunity from our, out of college, you know, it's Division three. And I, I knew it was going to be a, 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 again, first time away from home and didn't know anybody in California. You know, I'd met Coach Dunlap, you know, a little bit and knew him some, but it was a complete shot take. And so I think, thankfully, I listened to some of the advice I would give myself <laughs> right now. You know, sometimes you wish, you know, uh, sometimes that, that can be regrettable advice at times. But I think I was fortunate to, to, to kind of take the advice that I would give back to myself that I would pass to anybody else that wants to jump into this business is, you know, if you if you really know in your heart, it's what you want to do take shots, man, and just throw yourself into exactly where you are. There's nothing obviously absolute in life, but okay. it helps you. It helps you set the best conditions because you're fully in and you're fully embraced, you know, fully submerged in where you are at the time. Well said, well said. And I didn't want to touch too much into the best piece of advice, but I know that's kind of, kind of goes hand in hand. Um, but yeah, the last question that I had too was something that you always wanted to do, but you have not yet been able to do yet. Is there anything? You know, it's funny. I was just talking to my niece last night about this because she's she's done a lot of um, Christian mission work uh, in China. We were just talking about international travel at the time, and so yeah. um, London and Paris 
high on okay. my travel list. I want to go to a Premier League game. I just want to, you know, buy it, even though if I'm, whether I'm a fan of either team or not, put a scarf on, you know. Uh, yep. You know, hit Fit one with the, the locals. Hit one of the pubs, you know, pregame. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so London and Paris are probably my, you know, next two hopeful travel destinations. Haven't had a chance to do that yet. But, um, and again, thankfully, basketball's taken me a lot of places, but um, not quite those two places yet. So whether basketball does it or I do it myself, I don't care. Uh, but I definitely want to hit London and Paris. Um, not yet, soon. not yeah. yet, but it, it, I'm sure it will soon enough. Yeah. Sure, it will soon enough. And then, of course, kind of tying it all in, the best piece of advice for young rising coaches. I, again, I know we just kind of said this, but yeah, best piece of advice for young rising coaches. And then, how can they accomplish that? Practice what you preach, right? And what's the number one thing we preach to our players? Get better every day. That's the number one thing, regardless of yeah. level. You know, there's youth coaches saying it tonight at 5.30 to eight-year-olds. Joe Mazzulla is saying it to the Celtics this afternoon when they walk into the facility. So I think practicing what we preach is a big, big deal. And what I mean by that is, you know, can just constantly be a student of the game. You know, how can I get better? with the understanding that it's a double advantage, right? You know, you get better as a coach because you're obsessed with improvement, but then your players are going to benefit from your improvement. And so if you, and what do we always tell players at the end of the year, come back with one thing, add to your game, mm -hmm. right? Like don't be the same player four years in a row. Well, we can't be the same coaches from year to year. We've got to continue to grow. And so, um, for anyone either that follows us, tracks us, listens to us, members uh, with us, practice what you preach um, as, as a young coach because it's going to be a double benefit and it's an investment. All right. You got to literally treat yourself like an investment uh, that you're just going to continue to grow. You're going to continue to improve. Your players are going to benefit from it. Their, their growth is going to make you better because, again, they're going to keep challenging you as they improve like we were just talking about earlier. So I just think practicing what we preach as coaches is such a big deal, regardless of level, regardless of talent that you're working with. Um, it, it benefits the whole room, um, you know, when we maintain that humility to keep getting better as coaches. You're the man. It's always great. Obviously this time, you know, it's, we're always on every call together. And like you said, we're always, right. I feel like I'm, I'm texting you 24 seven. No, 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 no. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I feel it's, I'm guilty as charged on that one myself, man. From going through Excel, little stops, being able to kind of talk over <laughs> Excel, Excel tutors to all the right. way to just you giving me life advice. No, honestly, it, it's always great. And it's always, be, it's always a good opportunity to be able to just talk with you regardless. And that's why, like I said, I'll kind of reiterate and make sure to, really want to just hear your side of things because I didn't even necessarily know some of those things. So it's good to be able to hear them, but that really, I mean, is there anything else that you might want to add? I mean, that, that wraps it up for us. No, man, this is uh this was fun. Thank you um, for doing this. Hopefully it doesn't jack up our, uh, our, our juju <laughs> that we got, that we got going, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, 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 I owe the profession uh, a lot and, Hopefully this this thing with rising coaches has been 
you know, a, a few small payments <laughs> in return. Uh, but, uh, but no, man, again, appreciate you. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have some exciting guests coming up on this thing and, and try to uh, keep the rising, fi- uh, rising coaches uh, smoking fire going. Yes, sir. Well, that does it for another episode of the Rising Coaches podcast. Again, we got Doug Caputo and Alan Major here. And keep working. Keep rising, coaches. Take care. Prepare your team for success this season with our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball, the official number one selling shooting machine in basketball. If you're looking to transform and focus your team's training efforts, all you have to do is mention rising coaches or tell them we sent you with the Rising Coaches podcast. For an additional $300 off, select Dr. Dish shooting machines. I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in with us this episode. If you are not a member, want more content, or even be a potential member on our member spotlight to have your story heard, go visit risingcoaches.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Rising Coaches. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review so we can continue to keep rising together.